to build the next generation. We already lost one, didn't we? Our birthday girl. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Psalm 1 again. And while you're turning, just a, a note of information. I have out on the table a, a two-year-old campground guide. It's about a $15 book, and I just updated it. If you are one of those who likes to go camping, uh, you can have that campground guide for free. It's, it's two years old, but the campgrounds, are, a lot of them are still there. It's still basically probably going to meet your needs if you can use it. Please take it. If it's there tomorrow night, it's going to wind up in the trash can, in the dumpster, so they can recycle it <clears throat> and plant another tree, save another tree. All right, take your Bibles, let's look at Psalm 1, <clears throat> and let's attempt tonight, <clears throat> by the grace of God, to finish the psalm. I don't think it took David this long to write it, <laughs> as it does for us to preach it. Folks, I don't know about you, but I enjoy going through Psalm 1. There, there is so much here. And, and for a long time, it was one of those portions of Scripture that, you know, you've committed to memory. We, we learned it as kids, and... And we just kind of look at the surface of it and don't really get very deep beneath the surface. And so what we're trying to do these few nights is to do some deep mining, uh, not scratching the surface, we're trying to go down a little deeper and looking at the psalm and what it has for us. We noted the last two services, the blessed man of God in the first half of the psalm. Tonight we have more of a negative type of message as we consider the ungodly man. But again, let me read the psalm all the way through so we get the context. You can follow along as I do. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the blessing of these meetings, for the sweet fellowship we've enjoyed these few nights together. Tonight and tomorrow night, we look forward to what you're going to do as you tarry your coming. I pray you'd be with Barb as she teaches the children upstairs, and Lord, give them a, a good time together of learning the things of the Word of God. Pray for any who need to be saved that you might speak to their young hearts and bring them to Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for the many dozens of young people Barb has led to Christ in her children's meetings over the years, and some of them now involved in the ministry itself, and we're grateful for that. Minister to the hearts of moms and dads and teens here in the auditorium tonight. May the Lord Jesus Christ alone be glorified as we seek to exalt his name for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> I want to divide these three verses into four sections. Number one, in verse four, we observe there the scattering of the saint. Notice there was a contrast. The ungodly are not so. Now, literally here, as I've, I've consulted commentaries and some uh, other works, and basically they're saying, not so the ungodly, not so. In other words, there is a great emphasis here on saying what, what is true in the life of the godly man cannot be true 
and is not true in the life of the ungodly or the unsaved. It's not possible. The exact opposite is the case. Notice it's interesting back in verse 3, the godly man is compared to a tree planted, a tree whose roots go deep down into the soil. Excuse me, i got this frog in my throat. I'm going to get it out one of these days and use it for bass fishing. But you notice the contrast in verse 4. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Chaff grows with the wheat, you know. And uh, it's only separated at the harvest time. Of course, the great harvest is going to be the judgment bar of God Almighty. When he'll separate the sheep from the goats and separate separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, So uh, chaff grows along with the wheat separate at the harvest. But also, chaff, folks, is is worthless. Uh, It's easily blown by the wind, blown away to the four corners of the earth, if you please. There is no value to chaff. No one wants it. It's not even like sawdust. Sawdust at least has has, has an end in itself, right? You see all the new buildings, they're made with sawdust. Sawdust and glue. (laughs) I think, don't they build buildings to to withstand fire these days? Some of these new homes going up are are just fire traps. Listen, we're not talking sawdust, we're talking chaff. They, They beat the wheat and throw it up like this, and the chaff just goes up in the wind, and the wheat because, the grain of the wheat because of its weight, it falls down into the, into the, into the net again. So the chaff, those who are not saved, the spiritual sense, are absolutely worthless to God. That does not mean God does not love them. That does not mean that God will not save them and turn them from chaff to wheat. All right? We're talking here sort of, this is what the unbeliever's like now. And if he doesn't repent and turn from his or her sins, this will be the end lot of that individual. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was down in Sodom. We looked at that on Sunday evening, I think, or maybe last. I don't remember when we looked at it, but uh, Lot was down in Sodom. He sat in the gate of Sodom. God sent two angels, and I don't want to get into a big theological debate. I personally believe that Abraham's tent, the three men who came, we know one of them was God the Father, the Jehovah. I personally believe the other two angels, of the, I believe they were pre-incarnate of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, you can, you can look at that and study that, and I think it's consistent with the passage, although I haven't found too many people who will, who will agree with me on that, but that's okay. You have a right to be wrong if you disagree. <laughs> but think about it. I mean, look at the passage clearly. God is discussing with himself, I will go down and see. But Jehovah doesn't go down and see. Uh, the other two do. So evidently, one of those other ones was Jehovah. Jehovah is Christ. The God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. One triune God. Three persons and three ministries. At any rate, God sent the two angels, and they could not convince Lot to leave the city. Until finally, they said, listen, you've got to get out of here. There's not even ten righteous people here. And before God's judgment could fall on the wicked city of Sodom, by the way, that's where the term sodomy comes from, It's a wicked, immoral, unnatural lifestyle. People are not born sodomites. They become that by their own choice. But before the judgment of God could fall, His people had to be taken out. 
Listen, my dear friend, the tribulation will not begin until God's people are taken out at that great event known as the rapture of the church. I totally reject the pre-wrath theory that the church is going through go part of the tribulation. The problem with all these people who who get the church uh, get Israel or rather get the church mixed up in some part of the tribulation, they confuse Israel and the church. You can't do that. They're dispensationally uniquely different entities. And when the church is gone, the judgment of God will fall on this earth in a way that this earth has never experienced before and will never experience again. The judgment of God fell after Lot was separated from them. So here we find in verse 4 that the ungodly are scattered compared to chaff, as with the believer compared to a tree whose roots are deep. Notice, if you'll, in verse 5, the separation of the sinner. Therefore, because the ungodly are not so, because the ungodly are like chaff blown by the wind to the four corners of the earth without any value whatsoever. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, and sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Now this verse, I'll confess, puzzled me for a while. Until I began to look at it more closely, and, 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 and what I came up with and what I discovered reading <clears throat> other commentaries and the writings of other, other men of God, and it makes good sense. I thought, what do you mean the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment or sinners of the congregation of the righteous? The idea here is that the, the, the ungodly, which has to do with man's being, the word sinner denotes man's doing. One is his character, the other is his work. The ungodly in his being, we are morally, totally morally wrong, according to Strong's concordance. And the idea here is that when it says they will not stand in the judgment, it doesn't mean they're not going to stand trial, but the implication is they will not stand successfully. They will not win their case. It'll go to the great court of God Almighty, the the greatest supreme court the world has ever known. The ultimate supreme court. They will stand trial, but they will be found guilty. Keep your finger here, please, and turn over to Revelation chapter 20 for just a moment or two. Revelation chapter 20. Because we have in Revelation 20 a record of that great day when the ungodly stand before the judgment bar of God called the great white throne judgment. Notice Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. Let's let's begin at verse 11. John writes, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. <clears throat> and the books were opened, and and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And, God, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, plural, <clears throat> according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now notice in verse 12 you have the books mentioned twice. And you have another book mentioned twice. The books, plural, are the records that God keeps of all of our actions. The books are those records where God will prove in a legal court of law that everything the unconverted man thought he would do that would get him into heaven is not sufficient. 
Everything that man thought about his own self-righteousness will be in that court of law exposed for what it is, filthy rags and worthless, except for the fires of divine judgment. And the book, the singular there, the, the other book was open, which is the book of life. Now the books determine, rather the book singular, determines where eternity will be spent. The Lamb's book of life, is your, is your name inscribed in the Lamb's book of life? If it is, then it can be tonight. The books, plural, determine how eternity will be spent. Every man will be judged according to his own works. You'll not be, you'll not be judged for what anybody else does. And what, what amazes me is so many people are more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks. And my dear friend, listen, you're not going to be judged by other people. You're going to be judged by God Himself. It behooves you to be far more concerned about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. Because it is before God that you will stand and will lie and give an account of our life and our works. So the books tell us how eternity will be spent. And the book of life determines where eternity will be spent. And when you leave this life and draw your last breath and enter eternity... If your life is, if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life at that point, it never will be. I was preaching a serious message in a nursing home years ago when I was <laughs> in Bible college. You know, Bible college students are something else. Uh, I, I tell young people, man, when you get older, you're going to look back and these young years and realize how dumb you were as a teenager. And how dumb I was as a young preacher. I was preaching in a nursing home uh, to about 30 people and I was preaching from the text. Uh, whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I was thumbing through my Bible like this, looking for Lynch, Lynch, L, L, Y, L, Y. It's not here. And I was trying to be dramatic. And an old man reached up and grabbed the hymn book. He said, here, Sonny, maybe it's in here. <laughs> Missed the whole point of what I was trying to drive home. Realized with some of those folks, you have to deal with concrete ideas. You can't deal with the abstract. But folks, it is no laughing matter. The unbeliever will be cast into the lake of fire, judged by his own works. His own works, folks. Listen, if you're here without Christ, your own works, everything that you are trusting in now to get you into heaven, will in the end actually condemn you. Think about that. People who are religious and go to church every week and do all these religious activities, and they think they're okay, the fact is all of those activities are going to condemn them not help them. The only thing that will help you get into God's holy heaven is the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, washing away your sin, where the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Apart from that, my friend, your life is nothing more than filthy rags before a holy God. And so we have the sinner here, the ungodly, not able to stand successfully before the judge, the judgment. But notice the phrase, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, again, the word ungodly reflects man's being, his character, but the word sinners denotes his actions, what he does. And notice the Bible says the, the, the sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Now, listen, folks, they may be members of our churches here in time. They may be members of, even some of them, a fundamental independent Baptist churches like Westside. They may be a part of the church here, but they will not be a part of the heavenly church, the bride of Christ, when it's taken home to heaven. 
In our, you know, I look back at my own family and my father, my mom and dad were married in 1937. 1939, they attended a gospel meeting at a church in northwest Philadelphia. And they both went forward at the invitation. My mom was converted. My dad made a profession. For four and a half decades, my father based his salvation on that decision. Listen, folks, we're not saved by making decisions. We're not saved by praying prayers. We're not saved by asking Jesus into our hearts. We're saved by grace through faith. In the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For 45 years, my dad based his salvation on that, on that event that took place. We, I personally, growing up in my teenagers, had questions about it. But folks, he was actually serving as the chairman of the board of deacons of an independent fundamental church, just like this one, when he got saved on one Sunday morning at the age of 75. Well, you want to shake up a church, get the chairman of your deacons saved. I'm not saying he isn't. But I'm saying, man, when the chairman of the deacons gets saved, that, that, that'll shake a congregation. I was an active baptized member of a, an independent Baptist church. And, uh, and I got saved on April the 6th, 1962. It was a Wednesday. I, I never looked forward to prayer meetings before. The old, same old men and women get together and pray the same old prayers that old people pray all the time, you know. The problem wasn't with them, folks. The problem was with prayer meeting. The problem was with me. If you're not saved, I don't expect you to get much out of the prayer meeting service. That's the time when God's people fellowship together and share one another's burdens in prayer and, and rejoice together. I'll tell you, I, and I, I was a good Baptist. I sat in the back row of the church. The very back row. We evangelists call them, I'm looking at you folks back there in the last three rows, that's backsliders row. Don't you know the evangelist aims all of his big guns at the back of the church, you know? Anyway, those, those big guns on those, on those battleships, they couldn't shoot straight ahead and hit something too close. They've got to be 25 miles away. Anyway, uh, I sat in the back row and Pastor Bronson said, Anybody have a word for the Lord? And I stood up and said, Yes, sir, I want you to know I got saved this afternoon. And everybody turns and looks, You mean we've got unsaved people in our church? You bet we do. Do you realize there may very well be some unsaved members, even active members, even tithing members of Westside Baptist Church? Folks, listen, I'm not trying to cast a doubt on your salvation. Please don't misunderstand me. But Paul the Apostle does say, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. And when you take that exam, you must not base your answer on a decision or some experience. You must base it upon the Word of God. Are you saved? Do you know it? Do you have a Bible reason upon which to base it? If you don't have a Bible reason on which to base your salvation, there's a good possibility you may not truly be a child of God. So the sinners, while they may be a part of the church here, will not be a part of the church, the heavenly church. Notice, if you will, in the end of verse 6, the suffering of the sinner. Notice back in Psalm 1, verse 6, the Lord knoweth the way of the, un, the, the righteous, but notice the latter part, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That phrase involves several things. Number one, it involves the ungodly person himself, will perish. But also means the work of the ungodly. We looked at that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. The works of the ungodly will perish. But notice here in verse 6, the Bible says, even the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, the Bible describes the two ways. The Bible describes the, 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 the broad road, the, the wide road, the well-lit road, the appealing road that leads to eternal destruction. And the Bible says, many there be go in the, many there be that go in thereat. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal and few there be that find it. When I travel down the roads, I, particularly if I'm in the car there, I'm awfully tempted at times to just take a turn off and go down a road that has all the trees lining it, you know, and, and the curves and the windiness. We did that with the motorhome on Route 34 going to the coast uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, made a mistake and followed by GPS instead of my instinct. But anyway, uh, the fact is that, that these roads that are, that are broad and, and well-lit and well-traveled are the roads that lead to eternal destruction. That way will ultimately be destroyed. So the ungodly himself will be destroyed. The works of the ungodly will be destroyed. But even the way of the ungodly will be destroyed one day so that none may follow its pernicious ways. The very way itself will be destroyed. And notice finally the first part of verse 6, the security of the saint. So far, most of what I've said is kind of negative in nature. But here's the good news. There's, you know, there's, there's bad news and there's good news. Several years ago, I had the privilege of doing a number of public school assembly programs. That kind of dried up, I guess, because of who I is. But one year I did 17 public school assembly programs. And I, I would only go, I, I mean, I had the theremin at the time, which dealt with science. I had took the glasses, it was those of science and music and, and the violin and the history and the clavinova. And I'd open with the Star Spangled Banner to get those kids on their feet. And we'd say the salute to the flag. Love to hear, uh, love to hear public school kids mention the name of God in something other than profanity. One nation under God. With indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, except fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, separated Christians. That's what it's coming to. And uh, um, there's a reason I started to say that, and I got off on a rabbit trail. And uh, the security, we're talking about the security of the saint. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. And I don't know what I was going to say, so I'm just going to keep going. If it comes to me, uh, did that happen to you, Pastor? Oh, I'm so glad. I don't, I, I don't feel alone in my And I don't even like rabbit. The security of the saint. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. Notice the word Lord there is all caps. Jehovah, God the Father, knows the, the way of the righteous. If you're one of his children, you're, you're righteous in his eyes. God knows everything about you. There is nothing about you that is unknown to him. And interesting here, the word knoweth is in the present tense. It doesn't mean... He knows in kind of a general sense, but he, he constantly knows everything about me. There are no changes in my life. There are no changes in my beliefs or my actions or my attitudes that God does not know constantly. Now, that ought to bring a source of comfort to your heart, but it also be, ought to be a challenge to your heart. You can't get away with things with God, you know. Uh, we hear about these people who are unsaved and well, they can rob banks and people get away with all kinds of stuff and, and we'll, we'll leave the politics alone, but there's a good example right there across the board. But you say, man, if I was a Christian, if I did that, 
There's no way in the world God would ever let me get away with it. Why? Does God have a different standard for me and for, for the devil's kids? Yeah. God expects me as his child because I have the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable me. God expects me and has a right to expect me to live a holy life. The unconverted man, folks, he doesn't know anything but the wicked way. Even if it's moral by human standards, it's wicked in the eyes of God. The plowing and the sowing of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs says. There's nothing the unsaved man can do that's going to impress God or improve his standing with God. All of his unrighteousness, all of his righteousness, rather, are as filthy rags in the eyes of a holy, eternal God. But the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. The way eternally, but also God knows the temporal way that I journey right now. God knows when my life is going to end. I don't know when that's going to happen. I know that if I live a normal life and the Lord tarries his coming, there's fewer years ahead of me than there are behind me. I'm beginning to be able to see some light at the end of the tunnel. I recently saw a sign that said, due to the high cost of energy and due to the drought conditions in California and due to all these other things, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off. (laughs) Sometimes you think you see light at the end of the tunnel and you realize it's almost too late. It's a train coming the other way. It's not what you think it is. Listen, folks, God knows our way eternally. And, and you know, here, here's again something that, that interests me, puzzles me. People are willing to trust God for eternal life, but not temporal life. We're willing to trust God with our eternity, but we want to run things down here. We don't want to turn our life over. We think we know better than God knows about what we need and and what we want, where we want to go, and how we want to do things. God knows our way eternally, but God also knows our way temporally right now. And then notice, God, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. This word righteous means those who are made right with God by the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Folks, there is no righteousness in and of ourselves. Anything we are as a child of God, we are by his grace and intended for his glory. We looked at Lot. Lot was a righteous man as far as his standing with God was concerned, but he was a miserable failure. Abraham is a type or picture of the, of the spiritual man, but Lot, sadly, is a picture of the carnal Christian who never experiences the blessing of God like God wants to bless. Now, we've examined this psalm these last three nights. The blessed man of God, the first half, the ungodly are not so. The exact opposite is their lot in the last half of the psalm. Now, we have two compartments in this psalm. In which compartment do you find yourself tonight? Do you find yourself honestly before God, not not trying to convince anybody, uh, just simply honestly before God, because God knows the intents of your heart. Are you in the first category, the first compartment with the righteous, enjoying the blessings of God, as a blessed man or woman of God, delighting in the things of the Word of God, not in the things of the world, enjoying bearing fruit for His glory, enjoying the spiritual prosperity that only a child of God who surrendered to God can produce? 
Or do you find yourself in the second compartment, still lost, still unconverted, an ungodly person? The word ungodly means without God. Still lost in your sins and wandering around in ways that you think are best, not realizing that one day you'll stand at the judgment bar of God, but you'll not stand there and win your case. You'll stand there and the very things you were going to use in your defense will ultimately condemn you. Are you part of God's righteousness? I guess we could say there's a third category here. Be those who ought to be living in the first compartment, verses 1 to 3. Who are redeemed by God's grace, but who live like those in the second compartment who are not saved. Folks, listen, there are a lot of professing Christians who live like they're not saved. Makes us wonder, are they truly saved? I don't believe there's such a thing as a secret service Christian. A secret service Christian isn't a Christian at all. But there are a lot of professing Christians, and I know several of them, who whose lifestyles, you, if you looked at them and observed them, you, you'd have to wonder, are they truly saved? Well, they say there are. I can't question that. That's, that's up between them and God. I'm glad it's not for me to determine whether they go to heaven or hell. But we do try to inspect the fruit. By, your, by the fruits shall you know them. Could it be that you're a child of God living in compartment two with the world? Like Demas... Paul said, who has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed back to the world. doesn't have to be that way. There's no blessing there. The blessing comes from living a surrendered, godly, spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Let's bow together, please, as we pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I have thoroughly enjoyed sharing these thoughts with you these past three services in Psalm 1. And I hope that they've been a blessing, but also a challenge to you. Tonight, my challenge is, are you part of the blessed family of God? Or are you part of the second group, the ungodly, the exact opposite, void of the blessing of God? Because you don't know God. You don't have a relationship with him. I know that there's some here who are members of this church. We may have some guests here. We're glad you're here. Hope you'll come back. But listen, the question is, are you saved? Do you know it? And do you have a Bible reason on which to base it? And if you don't have a Bible reason on which to base it, you need to settle that question tonight. Tomorrow may be too late. Hell is just about filled with people who knew they needed to be saved today. They were going to get saved tomorrow, but they died tonight. Is there anyone here to say, Preacher, please pray for me. I'm not saved. I'm not sure about it. I don't want to die in my sins and be forever without the Lord. I, I want to be saved. I want to know I'm saved. I want to have a Bible reason to know I'm saved. Would you please pray for me to that end? Would you let me know by just quietly lifting your hand just now? Anyone? For God's people, I hope you'll take the spirit of these messages and And ask yourself, how does God want to apply Psalm 1 to your life? What changes does God want to bring in your life as a result of our time together this week? Father, thank you now for the liberty in preaching tonight. I pray now that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts and lives as Pastor comes and continues with the invitation. Lord, may you be pleased, may you be honored in what transpires in the lives of your people and those who need to be saved, for which we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.